I feel like people are allergic to doing hard things. And when you find doing hard things or uncomfortable things or things that make you suffer or challenge you, if that is repulsive to you, then you're going to miss out on so much of what life is really about. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. Well, good morning. Uh, We have some exciting news to share with our listeners. Do you want to share it? I'll let you. I'll give you the opportunity. Oh my gosh. Well, um, it's more exciting for Joe than it is for me because she looks great without makeup. Because we're taking a break? Oh, (laughs) Oh, I thought we were teasing the other thing. Yes. I'm just making a joke that's not funny. Um, Yes. Okay. So first of all, we are going on a two-week summer break because it's summer and we're going to come back in September. So this will be our last episode in the month of August. We'll come back just in time for Lauren's birthday, which is at the end of September. I'll let you all know where to send your cards and donations. But when we come back in September... We will be on video, which is giving us two weeks to get our act together to be on video. (laughs) No more messy buns and workout clothes. Actually, just kidding. You will probably see us in messy buns and workout clothes and just real life. Uh, And I think it's hilarious that in a time of podcasting, which is essentially like your own personal radio, you have to also do video. Or you have the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of fun because then you get to see us Mm -hmm. and we hope one day to see all of you. So mark your calendars and plan to join us that first week of September on video uh, as well as audio. You can still, of course, find us where you normally listen to your podcast. But if you want to see us, if you want to turn us on in the morning and just have coffee with us, we would love it. We would love to join you. And each week, um, I'm sure one of us will make a crack at the fact that we had to get ready or did not. Chose not to, not to get ready. <laughs> yeah, they'll see all the all the versions of us eventually. You will. You really will. I mean, maybe like the first two weeks, we're going to look really put together, and then it's just going to be downhill from there. <laughs> downhill from there. <laughs> we'll Can't end up keep doing up. some from the gym, from church. You know, hey guys, checking in with you. No, we have to keep the standards high. Kyle, our uh, producer, will love it when we're doing audio from all over, and the quality <laughs> just drops. But Kyle, you'll probably you can, uh, clip the audio from the background noises, right? <laughs> it, speaking of background noises, you're probably at this, you know, at some juncture going to see our kids because our kids do mm-hmm. inevitably wander in sometimes, no matter how many signs we post and all this stuff. But but that's all right. Kids are fun. They're super cute. Um, and you and I having two-year-olds, three-year-olds makes it even more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which... <laughs> How's your two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old? Three. I'm just going to keep aging her down. (laughs) She's a three-nager. Ooh, those are tough. Those are tough. It's funny because I feel like three is the age for me where I'm like, oh my gosh, if I don't have another baby, I'm never going to have another baby. This child is getting to be a teenager in this little person's body. But it is at the same time challenging, Mm -hmm. entertaining, infuriating. Like you go through the whole spectrum of human emotions when you have a three-nager. And the other day, Sophia decided that she needed to go to the bathroom while we were at a restaurant because, of course, she 
needs to see the restroom that, in every I, that must be a establishment. Thing. Yes, it's a it's a girl it's thing. It's a girl thing. It it's is a true. girl thing. My it boys, is true. my boys, if they need to go to the restroom, then they go to the restroom and then they come back. They don't and comment. The girl on the is like, oh, let's look at all the artwork in every part of the restaurant on our way to the restroom. And then, oh, let's see, how, let's count the stalls and let's see what kind of trash can they have. And let's, oh, let's ask questions about what's in the trash can. And then eventually we'll get to the part where she theoretically actually goes to the restroom. But now as a three-nager, she doesn't want me in the stall with her. So it's precarious because you're like, do I risk upsetting her by coming in the stall to make sure that this business gets done without making a mess and that we move on with our lives? Or do I just let her go in there and hope for the best, you know? So I did the part where you let her go in there and hope for the best at this last restaurant that we visited. And I eventually asked her whether she was going number one or number two because things didn't seem to be moving along. (laughs) And without missing a beat, she responds from behind the door, I'm going number four. Oh. So I, I don't know what number four was. I still to this day don't know what happened in there, but um, that's how life is going with my three-nager. Have you seen those uh, reels on Instagram, Life with Toddlers? Yes. They're accurate. Ridiculous and also yes. accurate. <laughs> it's, it's like you have a drunk roommate. And only yes. when you put it all together in really shortcuts do you realize mm-hmm. how ridiculous the day yes. is with these small yes. children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going number four is something I could definitely hear like a drunk <laughs> college roommate say, like non, non-ironically non that they were doing. I mean, my kids try to put their pants on their head and you're like, that's not going to work. They're trying mm-hmm. to put the dress on inside out, upside down. Yeah. They yell at you that you didn't help mm-hmm. and they yelled at you that you tried to help. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's just not reasonable. But it's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so fun. And, you know, I was reading an article in the New York Post this week that was talking about how parents are so excited that their kids are finally able to go to summer camps. In other words, they're out of the house. And, you know, it's talking about all the things parents are doing, and we're not going to go into that in this friendly G-rated show. Um, But (laughs) let's just say the article wasn't G-rated. It wasn't G-rated. It was a little shocking. People were giving their real names. Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. But it was the the final line that I found so uh, revealing and also indicative of, I think, where we're at as a society when it comes to kids and sad. This mom um, who has a website and all of this stuff said, you worked so hard helping with schoolwork for 10 months so you could live your best life for two. This is a mom who sent her kids away to a seven-week sleepaway camp. I thought seven weeks to not have my kids around in the summertime. I mean, summer, we are having a blast. And Mm -hmm. it's it's not living my best life when my kids aren't around. Now, parenting is hard. uh, And there are moments, of course, I think in every day when you're just sort of pulling your hair out. But my best life is lived with them. Like, they enhance it. There's, There's a Instagram um, couple I follow, and they take their kids backpacking. They take their kids on all of these outdoor adventures. I mean, it's kind of Mm -hmm. ridiculous. And there's a few of these sites. Mm -hmm. I think we've mentioned it before. And I commented on one of them. I said, hey, you know, they said something about kids. They get asked a lot of times, like, why are you taking your kids? And I said, kids enhance it. And they said, absolutely enhance it. Mm -hmm. And I loved seeing that. This is someone actually I went to college with. Uh, And the more we can remind people that like, yes, Having kids is tough, but it's also kind of hilarious and entertaining. And it is the best part of uh, the life we're living. They are not the burden that we're trying to ship off. 
to, to somewhere else so that we can live our best life. I'm like, what is your best life? Drinking by the pool and doing drugs? I just think life is a whole lot more interesting than that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, keep watching those Life I, with I Toddler think, Reels. <laughs> yeah, they're accurate. I think that the, um, I feel like people are allergic to doing hard things. And when you find doing hard things or uncomfortable things or things that make you suffer or challenge you um, in general, if if that is repulsive to you, then you're going to miss out on so much of what life is really about because there's nothing about taking a kid hiking that's easy. Mm-mm. Your feet are going to hurt. They're going to whine. They're going to ask questions. They're, you'll have to prepare more. I mean, there's a lot that's going to go into it that's going to make it less comfortable, but it is worth it. And it makes me really sad when I hear a parent say that they're living their best life when their child isn't there. The implication being that my life is more comfortable. Um, I'm suffering less. I'm, I have more time to myself because it makes you think you've never really been exposed to what is so great about kids mm-hmm. and what is so great about being a parent if you think that having them leave <laughs> is the best part. That's really sad. I mean, maybe there's a great reason to send a kid to a seven-week sleepaway camp. I'm sure that there's great camps out there. But the reason, the the great reason is not that you're living your best life when your kid is away. That's just really sad. It's really sad to hear because, you know, you and I as parents have had so many experiences where, um, yeah, we were dead tired at the end of it and it was not comfortable. But it was like one of the best things that ever happened to us because our kids were there to see it, you know? Yes. And I am finding increasingly it is so fun. You know, as, as kids move beyond the toddler years and I, you and I both actually have, you know, nine and seven and these older ages, watching kids discover life and being the one who gets to um, engage them in that and to expose them to mm-hmm. things and to introduce them to new experiences, and whether it's a piece of music or it's, it's you know, reading or it's going out and adventuring. But, but you have these people who are learning from you, who are watching you, just saying, what are we doing today, mom? And it's sometimes mm-hmm. daunting until you realize it doesn't have to be very complicated. Yeah. Uh, but the things that in our day feel, man, this is chaotic. This isn't very exciting. For them, it's just awe-inspiring. And it's so fun to get to do that with them. I think sometimes I find, mm-hmm. man, I I maybe shouldn't, I should go do some more work and not be so much of a stay-at-home mom because this is too fun. Maybe because it's fun, it's like, <laughs> it's I like, because it's fun, I shouldn't be doing it. I need to make this harder. I need to make this more structured. I need to make, like, we're just going to the park or we, we went to the library. But then you realize like that is actually how you're developing relationship with them and how you're fostering in them creativity and a love of learning. And it's also where you sometimes find yourself in those really key parenting moments that you did not plan for. Uh, We went Mm -hmm. to the library last week and my kids, like we love the library. Listen, y'all, we did an episode on books. Okay. So (laughs) books are a big thing in our house and for a number of reasons, but this particular library trip, it felt like walking in to a battlefield of landmines. There were books everywhere on display that were promoting messages that are not consistent with biblical truth. They're not even neutral. I, I'm not looking mm-hmm. for the library to be a place where every book is like, yay, the Bible. No. Uh, but <laughs> did you like that song? Um, but it, it felt hostile because the messages in, being put up on these books, you know, that they they set out sort of like ideas. And I, listen, I love that because a lot of times it helps me grab some books. Uh, but there were books pushing stuff that is controversial. 
it's not either decided science um, or or it's not even decided as a culture that we've said, like, this is a good thing. It's controversial. There's no backing. So, of course, one particular mm-hmm. book. And I applaud my kids for this. Um, my six-year-old came and found me and she said, she, she quietly was like, can you come look at this book? And I came around the corner and she hands me this book. Long and the short of it, it's this book about a little boy who uh, finds his mom's makeup, finds his mom's nail polish, and puts all that stuff on. Uh, and then when his mom comes home, he watches her do it. And, and it's promoting transgenderism. It's promoting a little boy trying to be a little girl. And mm-hmm. I, I, I could tell my daughter was uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. in, she knew that there was something off and yet didn't know what to do about it. And I think that's what was so frustrating to me is that these books are being put out that are meant to contradict what most kids are instinctively know and are learning in their homes. And this book now is meant to go against that. And now my six-year-old is saying, they're saying, okay, mommy and daddy tell me this thing. I instinctively have a sense of like, boy, girl, I'm learning these categorizations. And then this book comes along and it's upending all of that. And so I was annoyed But then we had a really good discussion about it later Mm because we got to talk about, okay, well, you know, what do you think makes for a girl? Does wearing nail polish make you a girl? Uh, Does wearing Mm -hmm. makeup make you a girl? I said, you know, there's a lot of rock stars (laughs) who are male and they wear black eyeliner and they paint their fingernails. So that can't mean that our, our femininity, our girlness is about these superficial things we put on. What about wearing a dress? You know, we, we had this conversation and I would have not picked it my daughter's six, uh, but this sort of mundane outing to the library uh, was just another moment for having a conversation about what's going on in culture and getting to guide that. But admittedly, I was also kind of angry. I thought, library, why? Mm-hmm. Why you have yeah. to do this? Like, that's totally fine if you want to have a section for books like this for parents that want that for their children. The library is admittedly a place where you're going to have a variety of views. But to put that out there in something that is not scientifically backed, that is incredibly controversial, I was annoyed, but Mm -hmm. I think we did all right. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, and the reality is we have to do that with our kids Mm. while they're little because, so this word discriminate, it sounds, it, it has a negative connotation, but it just means to choose among options, you know? We have to teach our kids to discriminate among all of the options that are going to be available to them, um, not only throughout their childhood, but into adulthood, because they're going to have situations like this where that you go to the library and you've got everything from the Bible to the Kama Sutra, and you need to be able to help them develop that discernment uh, muscle. And so having those conversations with them is so good on the subject of— um, you know, bad books. I don't know if I've ever shared this story before, but I think I may have. One time I was in the adoration chapel at my church when I was like a teenager and I found a book that was heretical and I threw it away and I felt really bad. I thought like, is this equivalent to stealing? Because this wasn't my property and I destroyed it basically. Um, And so I actually wrote to, back when letters were a thing, I wrote to this incredible priest called Father Benedict Groeschel, a Franciscan friar in New York City who has since passed away, but he was just so wise. And so I was like, he'll know the answer to this. So I wrote to him and I said, I threw away this book in the church. I don't know if it was wrong. Like, help me out here. I feel like there's a principle that I'm, that there's something here. (laughs) So he actually wrote back and he said, he wrote me one sentence. It said, Dear Lauren, there's nothing wrong with throwing away garbage. 
God bless Father Benedict Groeschel. And I was like, yes, okay, so there's something here. And I'm not advocating that you go to your library and like burn down the bad books or anything like that. But being able to teach your kids that books are great, not all books are worth reading. And here's how you discriminate as a Christian, as a believer, as an intelligent person. Here's how you use your brain and your intellect to say, this is not true. So I'm going to disregard that and maybe not discard it like I did, but disregard it and move on to the good stuff. So that's a good practice, Joe. It's a good exercise for preparing them for when they go out into the world. And (laughs) that phrase, when they go out into the real world, but the reality is they're in it already. (laughs) And why it's so important for us to be reading our Bibles, you know, our friend Devin, I don't know if you saw, he posted something that oh, said like, Devin. Devin's so great. Um, oh, love Devin. Ladies, if you're young and not young, like in your 20s and looking for a wonderful man, email us, we'll connect you. Um, but yes. Devin posted that like, the average Christian reads their Bible three times a year. And yet they spend an average of five hours, was it a day or a week on social media? Oh Did my you gosh. see that? And, no. and I just think, okay, so... In, in our pursuit, like in our understanding of what is true and not true, if you are steeping yourself in the world's truth and not in scripture, you are going to have a hard time then being able to discern when what you read is junk or even just like, this is fun entertainment, but it's not true. I was just reading mm-hmm. today in First Corinthians where Paul is talking about how the gospel is foolishness to the world. It is straight up crazy. And if you think about it, if you take a step back, you're like, yeah, it is a little whack, right? Like the, the son of God comes in as a servant. He doesn't come in as a conquering king. He he dies as a criminal, not a hero. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. we are called to give our lives to this and not to seek power and authority and wealth, but actually in following Christ, we may very well end up poor, uh, destitute, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. oppressed, not having all the things that the world says are good. And so if, if, if what you read every week is not rooted in the truth, if, it, it, if it's not scripture, then your mind, your heart, all, all the ways that you start to think about life are going to be shifted. And you will suddenly find mm-hmm. yourself saying, well, that book's not that bad. Well, that, that, there's some truth in that. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, this, this is yeah. probably, you know, this is a more compassionate understanding. And we would just encourage, again, we did an episode on this. and We'll link to it on just the power and the beauty and the delight in reading the Word of God. And as much as we love to read, there is no better book to make sure that you are reading consistently. If you only can read 15 mm-hmm. minutes a day, Start with the Word of God. It, or five. Or five. Even your whole day, yeah. you got to like, read that. Read two mm-hmm. verses. And that will be a better use of your time than anything else that is out there. And then as you are able to read more or, you know, as you have kids and you are raising them up, you have a standard of truth that you're holding them to mm-hmm. and pointing them back to. We, we all have truth in our life that we are using whether that standard is rooted in godly principles and absolute truth or it's this shifting moral relativity, you are operating off of some sort of standards and truth. And let's give mm-hmm. our kids, let's make sure for ourselves, we have the absolute best that is guiding what we do. Yeah. I love that. Speaking of relativism. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good transition there. Have- <laughs> Have you seen these? Joe doesn't even know what I'm transitioning to. (laughs) This is really fun for all of us. Hold on, friends. Have you seen all these words that the Biden administration is redefining lately? Uh, You mean like how every time (laughs) recession, every every word Jean Pierre, (laughs) Corinne Jean Pierre, every time she gets up on the podium, 
we learned that the dictionary has changed again. Oh, man. So this last one that I saw, I mean, this is happening like on a daily basis with her, but this last one was the word recession. <laughs> now, admittedly, I don't know that I she got called out for this. what a recession is other than, so let's first say what a recession yes. really is meant to be. Okay, well, according to- which dictionary? According to <laughs> standards. Yeah, according to economic standards. Okay. okay. And this is this is what uh, Peter Ducey from Fox News asked her. He said, the standard is that after, I think it's two consecutive quarters of negative growth, then you're considered something like, I don't speak economics, so you guys can write in and tell me how wrong I am. But two consecutive quarters of something bad, you're considered to be in a recession. And she just stood at the podium and denied that that was the definition of a recession. Just and what yeah, and now we've gone from denying the meaning of the word to this narrative that a recession is actually good for inflation somehow. I mean, it's like we're living in animal farm where we're just being told the backwards truth of everything. And it it brought me back to when we did that episode on the meaning of words and just like this is an ever present Thing, thing to be aware of um, when we talk about relativism and discriminating between what's right and wrong and what's true and false. I feel like it's exhausting these days, don't you think, to just constantly be having to ask yourself every headline you read, every news story you see, every political statement, whether it's from the right or the left, you're having to ask yourself, like, is this actually true? And you're having to do all this background research just to find out what the truth of the matter is. I don't know. I, I think I'm more just ranting than anything else. I'm just exhausted from it. It's discouraging because you, you start looking around and we, we were supposed to be able to pick up our newspaper or our news on our phone and trust that it was telling us what was. And then we would decide, okay, what do we think about that? But I, every, every news article feels like an opinion piece. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many reasons we could lay out why mainstream media is no longer trustworthy as an as a just uh, unobjective, is that the word I want? Where where you're not biased. <clears throat> mm-hmm. As unobjective uh, speakers of truth and changing words right under us as though our present reality is meant to be dismissed. And that mm-hmm. that is what is so maddening, is to say, no, 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 no. All of you suddenly having to pay hundreds of dollars more at the gas pump. All of you yeah. seeing these empty uh, grocery store shelves. Uh, you young moms who are having a formula crisis. Uh, you you who can't afford to uh, go on vacations or do just even basic things. Like, no, 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 no. This is good. Mm-hmm. This is all good. And it, yeah. it feels like we're living in real life version of the emperor's new clothes. No, no, yeah. this is a great thing. This person is wearing lovely wardrobe. Who's going to be the one that says they're <laughs> naked? It just, uh, yeah. and so absolutely, it's frustrating and it's exhausting. And if you don't have a really firm grasp on what a recession is, you're saying, well, I don't know how you define it, but all I know is that gas should not be at almost $5 or more a gallon. Like, this isn't making sense. Please make it make sense. And yet leaders keep telling us, no, it makes sense. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Trust us. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am finding, mm-hmm. you know, living in Washington State, it, it's a little discouraging to see all of this and say, okay, none of this is making sense. How do we get rid of the people who are leading us in this insanity? Mm-hmm. Uh, not literally get rid of them, just move them out of yeah. office. Because yeah. I'm still watching educating. large chunks you have of to our educate state. people. You're like, why are you voting mm-hmm. for this person? Yeah. Uh, why Why do you think, like, do you live such an insulated life that you are not affected by this? And, and there's an arrogance to say, I don't care what's happening 
to lower income individuals and families. You know, it's this value virtue signaling of like, we care for poor people. I'm like, no, you don't, because high mm-hmm. sales tax and high rates of of gas and the inflation and the recession, they're hurting them. And and so yeah, I, I'm with you that it's discouraging and maddening at times. And yet what I have to keep pushing myself back to is to say, okay, God. Who are you? Who have you always been? What can I count on? Um, and how how do I root my life in that? Mm-hmm. And pray. Like this is pushing me to really have to decide: Do I believe in the power of prayer to move and change people's hearts and the events of history? That God is still intimately uh, invested in and involved in the details, not only of my life but the society in which we are living and to really have to challenge when I feel hopeless or feel like the the efforts to deceive, to shift definitions. I mean, we've seen it with ectopic pregnancies, right? Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood had on their website, ectopic pregnancy, you know, the treatment for ectopic pregnancy is not abortion. Mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood has since changed their website. Yep. How convenient, how convenient that now, because yeah. they were being used by all of, oh, I don't know, pro-life groups to say, look, even Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. admits that this is not, they've just changed it as though it just never was. Yeah. We'll ignore it. And they didn't even, they're not even uh, like turning around what they had said to say, oh, the the treatment for ectopic pregnancy is an abortion. Instead, they got rid of, they took abortion out of the conversation. And in order to make people confused, they said, the way that you terminate a pregnancy in the uterus is not the same as the way you terminate a pregnancy outside of the uterus. I mean— Shifting of words. I can't. Redefining. I can't. It's, yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, I I was encouraged on Sunday, we were talking, we're preaching through um, 1 Thessalonians. At the tail end, Paul commands us to be joyful always, to pray continually. It's First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And to give thanks in all circumstances, for this mm. is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm. And in these times that feel like we are constantly under assault, not feel like, in these times where we are under assault, just in a different way than other mm-hmm. believers around the world or in history, uh, and, and we're tempted to get discouraged. The way he writes that, be joyful always. Not be joyful when it's going well for you. Be joyful when you yeah. own, you know, you you are the political majority. Be joyful when uh, the the media is on your side. Be joyful always. Uh, rejoicing in those younger years of kids, being joyful in seasons of singleness, being joyful uh, when marriage is great and marriage is tough, when you have a three-nager and a teenager. Like, be (laughs) joyful always. Mm -hmm. And I think that joy, though, comes from praying continually. And what does that look like? Well, when you have younger kids, you start to feel like, well, I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time to sit and be quiet. And yet— I think prayer, um, this is probably more of, I'm sure somebody in the Catholic world has written about this beautifully. Prayer is like a breathing in and breathing out. You don't have Mm -hmm. to like sit down in a room and have this whole space. It's when you're doing your dishes. It's when you're trying Mm -hmm. really hard not to blow up at your toddler. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yep. There is a great quote from Mother Teresa. Yes. That I know a lot of people have heard. (laughs) And and she was asked, I think she was asked how, how long she prays every day. 
And she said, I pray two hours a day except when I'm really busy. And then I pray three. <laughs> it was something like that. Oh, my And Mother speaking Teresa. of breathing in and breathing out, <laughs> let's give let's give people a practical prayer that they can do when maybe if it feels daunting to sit down with your thoughts quietly and actually pray for a specific amount of time. Because I know I can get into that place where it's like I don't want to be alone in the silence mm. um, when your brain is always filled with things happening. And in my case, there's always like a podcast in my ear. Um, but there is a prayer that I think the Orthodox do called the Jesus Prayer. And it's just a Bible verse, Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But they pray this prayer where they breathe in saying, Jesus, Son of the living God, and they breathe out saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you can sit and do it quietly, but you can do it while you're doing the dishes. Like this is a great way to just center your thoughts on Jesus. So just throwing in a practical like tip there, something that something that helps get me back on track sometimes. I have even shortened that one. Jesus, have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Yes, finding ways to pray, I think, is what keeps us moving forward in hope because it reminds us of who God is um, and and who, who we are, who this world is, and it keeps us tender. It keeps us compassionate, uh, and it allows us to continue to have a posture of rejoicing in the midst of really hard things. You know, that last piece of the verse is give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't mean you give thanks for the evil, but you can give thanks for who God is and what he is capable of doing in those circumstances, no matter what the circumstances are, whether it's a personal thing or more of a national situation we're watching, giving thanks for who God is and what he's able to do as a way of redeeming the situation, as a way of mm-hmm. uh, refusing to be a people capsized by despair because the rest of the world is that. The rest of the world is drowning in a sea of discouragement and we get to be the people that hold out genuine joy and hope, not because we are ignoring the present reality, but because we are rejoicing based on future anticipation and and the promise and consistency of who God is. Amen. On that note, friends, we'll see you in two weeks. Literally, you get to see us, our faces. See. You get to see our yes. faces. And we're giving you two weeks to catch up, to get ready. If you haven't already, Prepare please. Prepare your eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or that, or that. Listen, we're going to come out with our best the first week. And then after that, no promises. Uh, but if you haven't yet, please do uh, give us a review. Leave a comment helps our podcast to get out there to more people. And we hope you've been having a great summer and we will see you in two weeks. 